Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How's it going on this long weekend? Yes. While everyone's listening to this, it'll be Tuesday, but it'll feel like Monday. I, I'm I'm okay with that, but I also like my work days. So I'm always like, oh, missing a day of work this week, eh? Um, yeah, my, my work days and non-work days just blend in together, so whatever. <laughs> I've been working all weekend. Um, but it's been great. It's been good That's work. Nice. It's been good organizing work. Yeah. I feel really great about it. Awesome. And are you excited to be in Montreal in two weeks? I'm very excited to be in Montreal. In fact, as you probably are, would be surprised to hear, I have figured out my flights, my accommodations, my everything already which you probably thought you were going to have to remind me to do which would have been a which would have been a good thought but I was like I'm a surprise Nora and I'm going to get my shit together. I love it. I love that. I um I'm happy to hear that. I have not booked any of my stuff but it's a little less complicated for me because it's I just win. the bus. You win. If anybody is interested in coming, you folks should definitely come. It's going to be lots of fun. It's at the Osgang Plaza, which is uh, on St. Hubert in Montreal. And you can get your tickets online. So I've had some people ask about where to get tickets. The tickets are $7 and change. And you can get them at the well, uh, I was going to say the point de vente, I guess, in, in the point of sale.com or le point de vente. Dot com and just look for Sandy and Nora, or I mean, you can just Google Sandy and Nora Montreal tickets. I'm sure it'll pop up. Buy your tickets through there. Uh, get them at the door if you really, really want. Bring your friends, bring your parents. It's going to be so much fun. Fun. And we can't wait to see you. Oh, my God. So uh, we should probably start off this episode with a continuation of Christian Freeland Watch. And then go right into the gratitude after that, because why it as well follow up something eh with something, uh, you know? I love it. I love it. Do, do Have you seen, where, what's, what's uh, Krista Freeland do, been doing this week there, Sandy? Well, there were, there were new numbers around um, uh, the unemployment rate. So as Minister of Finance, I'm sure she had something to say about that. Or, But also inflation has been... Awful. So I'm sure she had something to say about that. There was uh, that day that it looked like the markets around the world were like fully crashing. So I'm sure she had something to say about that. Um, mm. n- hmm. Uh, huh. Um, maybe um, actually not. Maybe actually she didn't say anything about any of that at all. No. And maybe in fact we saw her on something completely unrelated to the finance minister. <laughs> She's going back to her roots as the foreign affairs person. Uh Uh-huh. She was announcing uh, more sanctions against um, people connected to the Iranian regime, as uh, as we kind of suggested would be the only thing that the government would do in our last week episode. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you do. Um, but uh, I was a little surprised to see um, Melanie Jolie, not that this is Jolie Watch, but did you see where she was last week? Yeah, she was in the demilitarized zone of, of, uh, <laughs> of, of uh, Korea. I... I was like, uh, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I bet she's just checking out the interesting fauna that exists in that uh, in that DMZ. Um, but uh, yeah, so no no real news again from Freeland, as is perhaps uh, to be expected. 
And um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a bit weird that we haven't heard anything about like the total collapse of Britain and like what that might do to us. Oh, yeah. It is. It's absolutely stunning that we haven't heard from the finance minister on that. And and also there was a, a bunch of news um, about uh, some banks, Swiss banks and Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse and uh, Deutsche Bank um, and what their financial picture looked like that she had no comment on. But this this the comments that she made this press conference essentially um no, not just essentially it entirely was a press conference um that she did in addressing a crowd of 1000 people outside uh, of parliament hill to talk about how um there should be a stronger uh um methods to keep uh, to hold Iran accountable. Again, this is all a part. This really works with what we talked about last week. It is very likely that Christian Freeland is going to be the next leader of the Liberal Party, and she will be running in the next federal election. It is. It feels like, smells like, looks like a PR tour. And so uh, it makes absolute sense that she's not talking about um, the stuff related to her job because that doesn't bode well for her. <laughs> no. And sure, she's she's doing... She's doing a, a – nobody wants to hear bad news from a future leader. And she's doing this, as you say, like return to foreign affairs, but not all foreign affairs. She's certainly keeping away from Ukraine because I think we all know that that did not go very well for her, even though that's the biggest um, – one of the biggest uh, international pieces uh, of news that's been going on in the last week. But uh, she can, uh, you know, with this feminist government, support – women around mm. the world. Just wonderful to see that. The, 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 the feminism power is strong with our government. Super strong. <laughs> girl power. Yeah, yeah, girl power. That's really great. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to be watching for uh, comments from her on Britain, on their banking system collapsing, on Brexit having destroyed them, and then also the sanctions against Russia having destroyed them too, because there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money from Russian billionaires wrapped up in the British banking system. Um, I'm not hearing all of those threads be put together, um, but as a as I heard from a friend of mine who works uh, in a he works here, but works in a company that's based in the UK. Uh, he said that all of his colleagues are sitting at home in their winter jackets and uh, working in their winter jackets, trying to avoid having to pay for heat. So that seems like uh, sustainable and okay. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about some gratitude. <laughs> yes, please. I'm sure we have some people to thank this week. Yes, we do. Thank you to everybody who shared last week's episode. We got some really good feedback on it as well. Um, of course, you can always go back and listen to it if you hadn't had a chance to do that. This week, thank you so, so, so much for everybody. Thank you so, so, so much to everybody who donated to the pod for the first time or changed their donation. Uh, specifically, thanks to Dominic, Lasha, Ryan, Allison, and Rhea. Thank you so much. We love, we love, and we appreciate you. So there's there's a few things yes. that we want to talk about this week. Um, and why don't we start off with international students? Yes, yeah. Big, big, big announcement from the federal government. Of course, the federal government regulates a lot of the lives of international students. 
And they did something that uh, students have been calling for for a really fucking long time, probably ever since this policy was brought in, uh, which I don't believe was that long ago. I don't think that it's been around for more than 20 years. But they announced that international students can finally work more than 20 hours a week. Yeah, this is... uh amazing for a number of reasons. One, I mean, the the government is saying that they're doing this because there's labor shortages. And I mean, sure, maybe. But the, the thing is that international students have always really wanted to work. And there's been this idea that international students tend to be wealthy or are going to be stealing jobs uh, from from domestic students or what have you. But the reality is that um, there is there are enough jobs to go around in a community because as a community grows, typically you need more jobs to serve the community. And international students have always represented a, um, a, a, uh, a positive growth for uh, any economic system. And so the arbitrary cutoff of that uh, 20 hours was also bad on like a personal level for international students as currencies um, shift and change in the world. And if you've come with a certain plan, that plan, a certain financial plan and a certain financial outlook, that plan could very well change from year to year depending on what was going on in the world. And certainly right now, I am sure that a lot of international students are experiencing a lot of uncertainty uh, with respect to uh, currencies abroad because, uh, well, the markets are shit. And so, uh, you know, this is uh, really good news um, that international students are, are now able to do this and that we haven't seen like this sort of response of uh, xenophobia that was in play um, whenever these sorts of um, uh, measures and services for international students would come up, whether they be allowing international students to work or giving them services like healthcare. Yeah. And and it was also just like a really ridiculous tool of control because international students would just then be forced to work under the table. They they would take jobs where they could, where they didn't have to report their income uh, or, as you mentioned, like just suffer. <laughs> like it was just this really disgusting form of control over this group of, of, of students that already are having the screws turned to them by their institutions who are relying on them to make up money in their budget shortfalls and who just you know, would remove their humanity at every step of the way. So I guess like, yay, liberals, fucking finally. Um, It sucks that it took uh, these kinds of economic pressures to force the government to do that. But I guess in absence of a student movement that might be able to force them to do that, then that's that's where we're at. We're being told that these these uh, measures are temporary, and I really do hope that that's a bunch of bullshit. And it's the, one of these things that now that you've done it, you you can't go back because I think that people are going to what um, you know <laughs> it, 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 come to rely on the type of support that uh, international students can give uh, uh, people who might be a transient community coming into a community um, uh, can give with the type of employment that they often are looking for and and even support communities uh, by staying that need more people to stay um, in some of our smaller um, university and college towns. So in any case, um, this is good news. Yeah. Yeah. A good news story. Don't make it temporary, liberals, you fucking hacks. 
Maybe Melanie Jolie will have something to say about it in the next few years. Oh, I'm sure she's touring Taiwan next, so it'll be exciting to see how she raises this issue. That's a guess. I'm not sure if I read that or if I'm just making it up, but, you know, as we've, I'm sure we'll see something in the next couple of days. Okay. We also had, well, that's not what the show is about. The show is about what? Sandy? (laughs) I mean, we have the show's about a number of things. We're just uh, going through news tour of the week. So, Nora, you will be very excited to hear that um, the 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 interim chair for Hockey Canada. Oh yeah, yeah. she she did the job. It's um, it's great. <laughs> All is well <laughs> in Hockey Canada land, and everything that you said. Uh, years ago, it has been fixed, um, and you know you'll no longer be blackballed by Canadian media. It's great. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be surprised to see that when that happens. So Andrea Skinner, everyone's favorite uh, fa- failure of a head of an organization, uh, she resigned this this past weekend. I mean, I I, I definitely love a Friday uh, at four o'clock on a long weekend news drop, but. Nothing beats the Saturday night of a long weekend news drop, (laughs) which is when she decided to resign. Now, Hockey Canada is embroiled in scandal after scandal. Um, It seems that they've got these secret funds that they've been paying out victims of sexual abuse that have been committed by hockey players. And she has not been in that role for very long. She'd only been there for a couple of months. The organization is, as you might imagine, completely fucked. And she was refusing to resign after many, many calls uh, for her to resign, including calls from the prime minister himself and uh, temporary sponsorships being put on hold from places like Nike and TELUS. So she finally resigns. And uh, I think you're right, Sandy. I think that uh, that uh, it's a new day in Canada. Hockey is is better now. And um, and we can finally be proud of our national sport. <laughs> well, it's actually um, the the thing that led to her resignation. I think the catalyst for it, because again, she's only been in this position for like less than a month. <laughs> she um, on Tuesday appeared before um, the House of Commons, um, who was asking her questions about, you know, the, the parliament is now quite interested in Hockey Canada as provinces are are pulling at their support for Hockey Canada, as well as the big sponsors that uh, Nora has named. And uh, she said, did you see what her comments were, Nora? I did not. She said um, that toxic behavior, uh, such as what has been seen in Hockey Canada, all this uh, sexual violence, that is a societal problem. Hmm. And it is counterproductive to use Hockey Canada as a scapegoat. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that The Current last week had a segment on this and they were calling Andrea Skinner a scapegoat. So I'm just wondering if there's like a general illiteracy out there uh, in the media on what the term scapegoat <laughs> means. <laughs> it sounds like it. Because in order for it to be a scapegoat, um, <laughs> she has to do a lot of sexual assault. Thing. <laughs> you can't have done the thing um, that you're being scapegoated for. I, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense. But it does, I think, after everything that's happened, really opens like it should. If anybody was in doubt 
you should there should be no doubt now as to the culture at Hockey Canada that that is their response to everything that's mm-hmm. happening is you're scapegoating us. Go fix society. Well, not even go fix society. She didn't say that. She said society is the problem um, with uh, not much interest in taking a look at what needs to change. And so now they're being called, there are calls to like dismantle the entire organization, have all the board resign, which is like, okay, maybe, but uh, like maybe that'll do something. But you know, in addition to a board of directors, there's staff and a whole institution that has made what has happened at Hockey Canada possible. In addition to society, like, you know, she's not wrong that society is is a problem, but it's certainly not scapegoating Hockey Canada to point out all the ways that Hockey Canada is uh, is directly implicated in uh, in in its role in society. Uh, being uh, misogynist and trash and racist. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a bit of a tough tough nut to crack because as much as Hockey Canada is an important institution, as I mean all indications are that, as you say, she's right. I mean this is a fucking societal problem, and the societal problem is really 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 deep. It goes extremely fucking deep. It goes into every single locker room, every single team uh, in in this country. And, you know, there's going to be some teams that are great and people have great experiences and it's not abusive and the coach is great and the parents are great. That is sadly going to be the minority because even if you have great coaches, you might have shitty parents. If you have great parents, you might have shitty coaches. Even if you've got great coaches and great parents, you might have shitty kids. (laughs) Like the way that we organize patriarchy in this country uh, has, you know, for so many years, so many years, it was pushed through religion. And through religious institutions that had control over the state. And then, of course, the state itself used religious institutions um, both to uphold patriarchy and to also enforce it. And the state, of course, does this as well directly. And hockey was a really, really important part of that. Hockey has always been alongside religion in this country. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Rock carries uh, the hockey sweater is such an iconic piece of Canadian literature um, because it isn't just about hockey. It's actually just as much about religion and the Catholic Church. And so, you know, these kinds of these this like relationship is quite interesting. And we don't really ever talk about it because then it starts to get too big. And then people are like, oh, my God, I'm like considering the sun and my relationship to the sun. It's so big. Oh, my God, I can't think about this. But um the reality is, is that it, it really is in every single pocket of 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 the way that society exists. And you can and you can see hockey operating in very pernicious ways. And so when you've got that as a reality, how do you fix an organization like Hockey Canada? Of course, a lot of people are calling for it to be disbanded, which probably does make sense, actually, because you do nef- definitely need a break from like the way of doing things in the past and the way of doing things in the future, because we know that the the core issues aren't going to go away. And so there will be more allegations of sexual assault, of allegations of gang rape, of allegations of behavior that, that the, the, the governing body, body needs to take seriously. And clearly the folks that have been there for so long, like fucking support or literally cannot take this stuff seriously. 
So sure, yeah, Hockey Canada has to be destroyed. But it is very fascinating to watch how how journalists, by and large, um, and actually, I'm going to leave hockey journalists out of this because they're doing a really, really good job covering this. Like, I'm finding that the the way that hockey journalists are covering this like to be very complete. Um, but everyone else is like solely focused on the individuals at Hockey Canada and how like this is something that might go away if it gets fixed and. Like one little example of that was like Matt Galloway saying, but what about the 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 the, the mother, the the father who's at the rink right now and was there at six in the morning with their I don't think he talked about the hot Tim Hortons coffee in their hands um, <laughs> watching their their child play hockey. And it's just like, yeah, that that parent's probably a fucking shit. Actually, let's be fucking serious about how these things operate. <laughs> it's everybody. It isn't just the leadership of Hockey Canada. There's one other piece of news that came out of that that I think you might like, a quote from her. Oh, okay. So one of the things that she said was that um, she wanted to be a positive voice for hockey and change, but when she took on the role, she didn't expect to be... Are you ready? Okay. You ready for this? Yeah, yeah. She didn't expect to be a, quote, lightning rod for extremists or receive threatening and hostile emails. Sorry, what the fuck? Her? Yeah. What's she talking about? Um, She's been getting a bunch of hostile emails. I mean, I fucking hope she is. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you if you think about the way that um, this whole thing has gone, uh, from your experience all the way down, a woman taking on the helm of Hockey Canada as interim chair after all of what's happened, of course she's getting a number yeah. of hostile and violent uh, and extremist emails. Uh, I mean, that is m- more evidence of exactly what uh, is going on with uh, the culture of hockey. And so it just makes her comments even more stunning that she would say that this is uh, scapegoating. Although maybe that's her strategy to stop the emails, but the resignation will probably help that too. Oh, I think so. And also like, sorry folks, but like you are lying, like this is the shit that you lie in. So don't be surprised that it's fucking splashing back on you. You know, to think that the most recent alleged gang rape that they are dealing with was from 2018 and I I think back to all of the individuals that fucking harassed me and that tried to literally push me into suicide just for saying something that is really basic and obvious. Uh, You know, there's there's a there's this rot is so, so, so deep. And a lot of people hang on to it because it's 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 about whiteness and power and misogyny and patriarchy and colonization in this country. I mean, hockey is really wonderful in that way that you can like paint a a very full picture of the problems with Canadian society and how Canada exists and operates just through uh, talking about like relations on the on the ice and who's in the stands and then who's above the people who are playing there and no one's ready to have that conversation so yeah yeah sure thanks Andrea like it does suck that really it sucks to get those kinds of messages and I'm not sure that extremist is the right word because those are your base actually sorry precisely Okay, and the final thing that we want to talk to you folks about um, is war and the new Red Scare. Yeah, what is it good for, Sandy? Uh, What is it good for? I mean, someone's pocketbook, I assume. (laughs) No, the answer is absolutely nothing. Come on. I know what the answer is supposed to be, but we also (laughs) both know that it's good for someone's pocketbook. 
Yeah, the new Red Scare. Have you seen any of this uh, online uh, or in your life at all? I mean, look, Nora, I think you know as much as people who are constantly trying to get in touch with me on Twitter that I've really stopped the Twitter <laughs> engagement. I've really taken it all the way down. Um, but I've seen a little bit. I've very seen honorable. Bit. Very, very impressive. Thank you. I just fucking can't stand that world <laughs> anymore. It's just very, very hard uh, to keep looking at it and being like, this is anything more than this is just a scourge on our society. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. But I do open it up uh, to, to take a look at what's trending and see what's going on in the pop cultures. And um, so, yes, I've seen a little bit of it, but probably not as much as you have. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that this would be an interesting thing for us to dive into because uh, I haven't seen anyone writing or talking about it, though I have seen it operating uh, in kind of like overdrive on the social medias uh, for quite a while now. So a lot of people are calling it the new Red Scare, using any uh, criticism of Western governments as being proof that people are actually pro-Putin or they're Kremlin acolytes or they're being paid by the Kremlin or whatever, this kind of like message. And it is so fascinating. So I'll give you an example. Melanie Jolie, man, we're gonna be talking about her more and more, I think. eh? She's like trying to angle to be the next finance minister. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what's gonna happen. (laughs) Just so everybody knows. (laughs) Oh, man, these guys are so predictable. Okay, so Melanie Jolie uh, posts right when it looked like, uh, you know, all the, the, the international news was saying Ukraine is winning, like they've taken some territories back and they're winning. And, and, you know, we backed the right horse that uh, she said, like, national borders will never be defined by the barrel of a gun or something like that. And which is just (laughs) did you know that, Sandy? That's an illegitimate way Uh, to enforce borders. Did you did you know that? I mean, that is really something to take that collection of words, string them together into an intelligible sentence, say it out loud and mean it. And think (laughs) and think and think that people won't think that that's absolutely absurd. But then also for people to not think that that's absolutely absurd. I mean, the whole thing is just absolutely stunning. Well done, society. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. And so uh, I retweeted that to say, has she seen Canada or something like that? Or have you looked at your own country? Something super, super basic and like reminding her that, of course, that's literally how Canada's borders were not just founded and then created, but then also continuously reinforced. I mean, there's fucking guns along every like every border service person that's like patrolling borders, like carries a gun. So like, let's not be too fucking, I don't know, like completely breaking with reality here. So it's a pretty not. Or maybe tweet. she's just anti-border. Well, I mean, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) We all know that that's not true. Anyway, continue. So the number of replies that I got from people who are like twisting that to be Russian propaganda was so annoying. I I have never been more irritated in the last three weeks. I mean, this is like my, my life is like levels of being irritated to the max every couple of weeks now on Twitter. And the... So wait, let me just, let me just make sure that I get this straight because... The the logical leap is actually kind of astounding. Oh, yes. You're saying that your response saying that Canada's border is in fact justified or protected or whatever the fuck or or created through the gun, you you pointing that out 
is Russian propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that is the logical leap that we are creating here. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, that's exactly why I'm like, oh, I think we need to talk about this because it's really fucking shocking that like we are like hurtling towards a world and it will get fucking far worse as this war continues and more people will die. And it's I mean, God help us if fucking Russia looks like they're winning because then it'll be cranked up even higher on the Western side. But there are forces that are trying to make any criticism of the West and then Western foreign policy as being Kremlin-esque, Putin-esque support for Russia. And it's really difficult because, I mean, it, it also kind of brings in this binary thinking that we have talked about on the show a lot, that you're either with us or you're against us. And so then all of a sudden you find yourself, or I certainly found myself, having to respond more to people about, like, what the fuck I think about Russia than, like, the original point, which is, like, let's talk about Canada's borders. Or my favorite uh, argument, oh, the West always tries to make this about themselves. Like, why is the West making them about? It's not about Canada. <laughs> it's like, um, she's our literal fucking minister of our government. Like, what What are you talking about? But I, I'm very, very, very worried about this. I think that this is a level of uh, censorship, frankly, of um, like censorship from the crowd, trying to make sure that people avoid talking about certain things that is very, very damaging. And this is coming out on saying something very basic. And I've seen it a, a lot of other instances as well. Like, my God, try to actually have a critical conversation with the fuck is happening right now. And, and you'll find yourself very quickly, really, really in trouble. Uh, that uh, the West making it about themselves, um a position is is really, really a shallow position because um, you know the West is is intimately involved in this war, and so I mean in supplying weapons in the and sorry let's be clear any sort of geopolitical um, military activity uh, pretty much involved like you can't involve not involve um, the forces that are you know. The, the biggest suppliers of military vehicles and supplies. You can't, like, uh -huh. they're all a part of it. And um, the allyship that happens through uh, an, an organization like NATO. So um, that's an extremely shallow position for someone to take in, in response to that. I mean, there's a reason why our um, politicians are, uh, you know, engaged in this. Um, also, with the the discussion of uh, the potential use uh, or non-discussion of the potential use of nuclear um, of, of of nuclear weapons, uh, and I say non-discussion because I think it's really weird how little it's been in the news. But we'll get to that. Um, you know, like that, it's going to impact us all, and so absolutely, we should all be involved in this. But part of what you're saying here, um, in terms of uh, you know this, the way that propaganda actually works, it's it's not y you who's employing propaganda, but there is propaganda that is working on these people who are criticizing you, in that it has shaped the political discussion such that totally. we believe that a critique of uh, Canada's uh, political commentary on the war is pro-Russian propaganda. Thinking that that is no longer allowed, that that is outside the bounds of political discussion, is propaganda working on you, in fact. 
And you can see this really easily with um, the discussion. You know, I've, I've been fascinated by the discussion on the draft in Russia, which is f- fucking awful. The draft, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have escaped Russia to escape the draft, um, uh, you know, and, you know, power to those people who are trying to escape. Um, but there was also a draft in Ukraine mm-hmm. and thousands of people were also trying to escape that draft. And it's fascinating to see right now discussions about how drafts are bad um, in relation to Russia's uh, military tactical uh, moves, but not having seen that barely at all with respect to Ukraine's military tactical moves. Right. Um, You know, we should be able to discuss these things, no matter what you think about how this war was uh, instigated, NATO's role, um, Russia, Putin's like fucking megalomaniac wildness, like all of that can all remain true. And you can still say it's fucked up to have a draft, like uh, whether you're in Ukraine or Russia. And it's fascinating to see um, the, the bounds of political discussion working on so many people, especially since I feel like, um, you know, as as the elder millennial that I am, that there was a point where we learned in school, you know, like uh, during the Red Scare, we learned like, you know, you couldn't speak about such things and it was bad. And, you know, we, we kind of were told that the bounds of such discussion, creating boundaries on discussion on political discussions like this were bad. And so it's it's just fascinating to see it like fully recreated and to see that so many people can't pierce through that. Oh, totally, totally. And it's it's also weird because it, it feels like then you're like, well, why do I, why why is this so obvious to me or so clear to me, but like so difficult for other people to see? And then you start to wonder like, am I, am I wrong to think that, no, this is a war of, of rich men who can go fuck themselves, who don't care how many people they, they, they murder in their wake, that yes, started by Putin, of course, but then also, as you said, drafting Ukrainians to protect their home, like everything goes down to these borders. And it's like, I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, as a Canadian, if the Americans fucking invaded us because we allied ourselves with Russia, I wouldn't be like, no, we need to fight to the death to protect this territory from the United States. I'd be like, fuck all of these countries. And how can we live the most peacefully possible? How can we not engage in their wars? These wars are piece of shit that they are. um, They're going to make people money. They're going to redesign political um, powers within the in the world that have nothing to do with me personally or with my community or the people that I don't want to see sent to slaughter. And and th- but that whole position is like not allowed. We can't investigate that or have that conversation because that's playing into Putin's hands. Because therefore, what we want more people to die. It's like it doesn't make any sense. But there's no, um, there, there, like of course there's not going to be much mainstream conversation about like what an anti-war position might look like. But there's not even much alternative discussion on what an anti-war position might might look like like a lot of people have picked camps which is like i mean fine you can pick a camp that's like sure whatever 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 like do what you want but to to be able to walk back all of this and, and see okay so we've got putin that's trying to redefine 
global alliances. He's making a, a violent break with the West uh, through make, like a quick land grab and then hoping to just never fucking have to deal with Western Europe and, and North America again. And at the same time, the world is shifting away from Amer- American hegemony. Like that is what's happening. And we can't actually have it in a conversation like that because I don't know why. Like this just too people can't handle it. People can't handle having a conversation like that. Instead, it's like, oh, man, that was so wicked. You see that bridge blow up. That was fucking sweet. Like as if watching bridges bl- like be exploded is like cool. Like that's a fucking affront to like the ingenuity of humanity. And you're fucking blowing up bridges and you're like, yeah, fuck you. Putin, it was your birthday. That was your happy birthday present. And it's like, oh, what's happening the next day? Kiev is full of fucking bombs today. Right. Yeah. That's what happens. And it's not just the ingenuity of humanity. It's like if you watch, if you take a look at the news that happened afterwards, like 24 hours afterwards, the news that didn't trend, the news that uh, wasn't talking about how it was a significant blow to, to Russia's supply route for the military, you would have seen average people who now have to wait eight hours to get to where they need to go, whether that's work or whether that's wherever it is that they need to travel, they're waiting up to eight hours on the road because a significant route for them to travel has been has been ruined. And now, yes, this is this is war. But we should always remember that when we're talking about war and analyzing war, we should always be thinking about the average person, the person on the ground. There were these um, stories, you know, from last week when Russia annexed those two cities and then Ukraine got them back, where they were interviewing um, residents who were like. What happened? Oh, we were Russian for a second? Okay. You know, for the average person, that was their their reality. Like, it, it didn't change anything for them. And this bridge, for the average person, both Ukrainian and, uh, and Russian, it was like, okay, well, now I'm going to be sitting in traffic for eight hours um, while I need to transport people or myself or get to where I need to go. We should always mm-hmm. be thinking about the average person and not just, uh, you know, the, the kind of justifications of war. Yeah. Or the, or the justifications of people in power or the ones who are going to profit from this, right? Like we should be looking at uh, this war through the lens of a collapsing British economy and American in an American decline because there, if there's anything that's going to help pump the British economy out of its fucking freefall, if there's anything, maybe there's nothing that'll be able to do that, it will be moving to a war economy. And so if that's the case, then all of a sudden the interest is not actually Ukrainians. It's not actually protecting Ukrainians. It's actually making sure that this war continues and that there are more shells dropped and that there are more pieces of equipment sold uh, and that, and that there's more uh, economic stimulus that these that these countries are able to you know plow into Ukraine because that's who they're allied with. I mean, they would plow it into whoever the fuck they were allied allied with to be able to make money off it to save some of their of their dem- domestic economy. And I think a lot about one of the first reports that CBC Radio had was um, in the Donbass uh, in like February or January. And they were interviewing a families, like, what do you think about this? And they were like 100% critical of Russia, 100% critical of Russia. 
But then when the question became, okay, so what do you want to go forward? It was like, well, but we're happy with the provisional government that we have. Like we don't like we've had a bit of peace the last like little bit and we don't want to see more war. And and that was, of course, the Russian backed government or whatever, how you want to talk about it. But it's like a good reminder that, again, yes, average fucking people just don't want to see their family and friends die. They don't want to have to live under the threat of bombs being dropped on their heads. And like this whole situation is also very interesting um, way that we're sanitizing history. We're sanitizing what happened in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, the role that the West played in obliterating communities in uh, different parts of the world uh, as a as a way to be like, here's the just war. Here's here's the the finally here's the war that we've been waiting for. That it's a high technology war. It's against uh, this this major fucking villain who we've been you know we've been building the Russians to be villains for fucking eighty years. So this is perfect, and you can find yourself very easily in the right camp. Forgetting that, like the West, the body count that the West has over the last twenty fucking years is just is incredibly high. And it's funny because as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of a, a couple of comments that I got online, which was uh, what aboutism, right? So here I am talking about other wars rather than talking about Ukraine. And that's what aboutism, which people would say to me was invented, was a, a, a literal tactical um, thing invented by the Kremlin to make sure that people aren't talking about Ukraine. <laughs> like just those kinds of rhetoric devices employed in these discussions or debates is so fucking interesting and also pathetic and also indicative of where we are at allowing people to have conversations or not allowing them to have conversations. But like, this is not just a territorial war. This is a war that is changing the global forces of power. Uh, and that is the way that our, our governments are engaging in this. They know that very fucking well. And that's why we will never, ever, ever get a straight answer from like mainstream media about what the hell is actually happening. Nora, just a, a final note to talk about today. So nuclear war um, seems more and more possible. Biden has talked about how we're closer than we were than uh, at the Cuba Cuban Missile Crisis point. There's been reports of Russia uh, moving nuclear missiles and getting them into position or something. I don't know. But, I, I mean, gosh, I've seen more news about Kanye West's fucking T-shirt this week than I have uh, about nuclear war. And I'm not making the argument that you can't have, you cannot have both pieces of news, but I am making the argument that the level of news that we've had about Kanye West wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt versus the level of news that we've had about nuclear war has been um, disproportionate and strange. <laughs> like, to say the least. <laughs> to say <laughs> the very least. It's, it is absolutely absurd. It is extremely bizarre. Uh, why is it that there hasn't been a lot of news analysis and discussion about the potential for nuclear war, where we're at, and and what is happening and how people can uh, demand uh, different or in some sort of engagement from their governments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nuclear war seems like something that uh, that we should be hearing more about. Um, and to quote Sun Ra, it's a motherfucker, don't you know? It's 
such a big issue. <laughs> like, I, I just I feel like the only thing saving us from nuclear war is that like that Russia wants to fucking annihilate the earth as much as Ukraine does, which is to say probably not exactly any like I hope. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm hoping that no one wants to fucking use nuclear weapons. These are two nations that are uh, using, like, have contested territory between them, and nuclear weapons would fucking annihilate everybody. So maybe that's the thing saving us from, like, nuclear fucking war here is that they're just in such close proximity to one another that neither side would use nuclear weapons. Because, of course, in the past, I mean, we're talking about the United States dropping it on a country that, you know, nuclear followed is not going to drift across the Pacific Ocean um, after having dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But that's, I mean, that's just me guessing. I mean, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what kind of nuclear arsenal these these countries have. Uh, Ukraine being brought into NATO uh, is, like, so interesting to me because, like, this was a country that had no hope in hell of being in NATO only a couple of years ago because of the corruption levels within its government. And so it's like, so now they're at war and their corruption is what, gone? Like, no, are you kidding me? I'm sure it's, like, a million times worse. And that's a whole conversation that, of course, we're not going to hear about because they need to be in NATO. And then once they're in NATO, does the United States then, then stop start dropping nuclear bombs on parts of Russia that aren't going to then hurt Ukraine? Maybe that's where we're heading, right? That seems like kind of the most potentially obvious place that we would be heading. But I don't know, because you can't talk about this stuff without uh, without sounding like you're bleeding hard or something. And it's it's really gross because like, you know, nothing is good by opening that, that box of nuclear weapon and nuclear arsenal on us, on any kind of human population, obviously. And, um, I, all I can hope is that on both sides, there's reasons to not fucking go that, that direction, but Lord knows there's people fucking cheering for a nuclear bomb to be dropped on some part of Russia. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the appeal here then is just like, you know, news organizations, journalists, alternative news organizations, and even people, like, we should be demanding that there is discussion about this uh, extremely newsworthy uh, series of events and possible events that could be happening. Uh, it's just really fucking unacceptable that we haven't been having um, proper news about this. And again, this is just tied to, um, you know, sort of what we were talking about with respect to propaganda. We we need better ways to have better discussions. Um, we just need better discussions on all of this stuff, um, from from nuclear war to, uh, to to war itself, to how people experience war and what the consequences are for people. Uh, and so if you're listening and you have some sort of uh, ability, some sort of power in making news, um, which maybe means that you don't work for Bell Media, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> please, like, you know, if there's if there's a way that we can turn the tide on this, it just it feels um, it's extremely urgent right now. Mm-hmm. And also just Sandy, so you know, over the course of us recording this episode, I've got my Twitter open and um, I just got a promoted ad for Lockheed Martin. <laughs> That's the corporate Twitter for you. They're listening. They're listening to us. <laughs> they they are listening and they know that you are their target audience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 